Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Always appreciate your support. Today's guest is the Sklar brothers, Randy and Jason Sklar. They're great. You can follow uh, their comedy tours, dates, events, all that also, all that they have going on at supersklars.com. They're longtime guests and friends of the show, friends in real life. They're terrific. Of course, if you've never seen their show Cheap Seats, which was on ESPN Classic way back in the day, do yourself a favor. Go find it on Netflix or online or wherever you can find it. Uh, Cheap Seats, an all-time classic. And, and they're great. Interesting, guys. We got into a lot of fun topics. I should note and apologize right off. There were some weird audio issues for the first chunk of the podcast. So we kind of pick it up midstream. Uh, it's about 30 minutes long in the end. And it's basically Randy and Jason jumping into, okay, here they are in New York and here's what happened. So we talked about their childhood and stuff like that. Yeah, unfortunately, it hit the cutting room floor. There were just some weird, weird uh, sound issues. I apologize for that. But everything else goes fine. Once you get to 30 minutes, it's fine. Uh, everybody's audio comes in loud and clear. So it's a nice, power-packed half an hour with the Sklars. Uh, and they were on my podcast back in October of 2016. You can also check out that edition. And, uh, yeah, follow them on Twitter at Sklar Brothers, S-K-L-A-R Brothers. And uh, do all that good stuff. And that's it. Otherwise, uh, follow my work at CBS Sports during the winter meetings, doing lots of stuff, uh, writing about various happenings. Uh, I'm excited about what's going on at CBS. We're going to launch a new digital network uh, in the future and uh, lots of cool stuff. So stay tuned for all that. Uh, CBS is fantastic. The Sklars are fantastic. And please enjoy this edition of the podcast. decided to move to New York and try and make it in comedy. We deferred law school, which was kind of the easiest way to our, tell our parents, like, look, if we struggle or completely fail in New York, we will go back to law school. But our, and they were okay with it. They, they were, were our, okay Our with dad it. couldn't argue with it because, you know, it goes back to what he lived his love principle he lived his life by, which is give me the ball. Don't. Yeah, d- don't we're going to bet on ourselves. Don't bet on anyone but yourself. Nice. Bet on yourself. And the fact that he taught us that. He went a million dollars into debt two years before we went to college. By us saying we're going to New York to try and do something that we really want to do. And we're going to pay for it. We're going to be responsible. We'll get day jobs. Yeah. And we did it, man. And when we went to New York, it was not like a path paved with dreams. We started, and in six months, we quit. We quit doing comedy. Because we were doing what Andy had basically told us. Like We were still doing our act from college. And we had mm. a couple of decent jokes, but... We needed to change everything because we showed up and you're around people like Sarah Silverman and Jeff Ross and Dave Chappelle and all these other people who are doing comedy. And you were like, we're, we got to up our game so much if we even want to contend in this whole thing and be a part of this scene. So we quit and we took a sketch writing class at Chicago City Limits. I will never forget this. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a sketch writing class at Chicago City Limits. And it was, you know, we didn't even know what we were doing. We're like, I don't know if we want to go into sketch comedy, but I know that we want to try. And so we, 
our teacher was a guy by the name of Justin Stangle. Letterman, yeah. Yeah. Letterman. I mean, but at the time he was Justin Stangle. Yeah. He was a, te- he was a teacher he, it, at Chicago City Limits. And we're thinking to ourselves, this is as far as, the, I mean, he was great and he was really yeah. smart and really funny. Exhibiting he told all us stories about how he wrote for like an Australian radio show and had to come up with sketches every day. And so he was all about like his, you're no- prolific. His notebook of sketches were, were, truly impressive Mm. like he would always have a bunch of stuff and he was fun like for some reason whether we knew it or not we loved when he he didn't even have to alter the stuff we were doing if he liked it that was good we just knew we're like this guy's got something and of course he goes on to be the head writer of letterman he and his brother eric stangle and they're the head writers for like i don't know 15 years and they've gone on to do amazing things as well so that was amazing that we got in touch with him and contact with him, and they moved us into a much more sketchy version of what we were doing. But really, truthfully, the thing that really helped us the most is that we were in the right place at the right time. How Malcolm Gladwellian is that? To be the alternative comedy movement boom, like it hit New York mid-90s. It had already been in L.A. with Kindler and Kathy Griffin and David Cross and Bob Odenkirk and Jack Black and those guys. But then it moved to New York. And when it moved to New York, it was, you know, it was brought by the guys like Kindler who would come back to New York. But, you know, you had Sam Cedar and, and Sarah, Sarah Silverman. Silverman. And I mean, I remember seeing the first sort of alternate, really big alternative show called Eating It. It was at Rebar and then it was just called Rebar. And then it went down to Luna Lounge for many years. It was there. But the first show was 40 people sitting Mark, on U-shaped couches. Mark Cohen hosted it. Mark Cohen, who played Sarah Silverman's dad in, in the Sarah Silverman show. Mark Cohen, uh, Liz Winstead, Winstead, who told a story about an abortion and like cried. She cried. I mean, we've never seen that at a comedy show ever. Uh, Jeff Ross was hysterical. Louis C.K. got up there. Mark Maron got up there. Uh, who else was, uh, uh, John Benjamin and, and Archer. Michael Ian Black or Michael Ian Black did a little thing. John Benjamin did a thing. It was, it was unbelievable. People were coming out of and the And it audience. blew our minds wide open. We were like, oh, wait, comedy can be this. You can actually be funny the way you're funny around your friends. People were coming out of the audience doing things you didn't expect. It was very Andy Kaufman-esque in terms of taking comedy and turning it on its ear. Or the things we loved about Letterman. Letterman would take the talk show host, as we know it, and turn it on its side in the funniest way possible. And so this really appealed to us. And we said, oh my God, we got to get into this scene. We got to figure it out. So we start coming. We start writing material that, that, that we thought would do well in that context. And there were smaller shows that weren't as prestigious as that one that we went to. And we started to do those shows. We did those shows with like Zach Galifianakis Jeez. and uh, Jordan Rubin and Sloven and Allen, Eric Sloven and Leo Allen. And all these really, really funny, talented Dimitri Martin, like great, funny, incredible people doing these shows. And that's who we started to kind of come up with. And then we started to work at the Luna Lounge and do that show with like industry and Marin would do it every he was like the fourth, the cleanup hitter in every show. Like every week, we were like, this guy's so prolific. He would just talk about what his day was like walking down the street in the East Village and people were enwrapped. And so it was. I remember when UCB showed up in New York around 97, uh, 96, 97, and they like, you know, they were doing such like a reverent, amazing, innovative, like, sketch. like incredible sketches like you'd never seen before. We're like, this is the most, cause sketch was one thing for so long. Saturday Night Live was one thing. It was actually going through a really rough period, Saturday Night Live. And so yeah. for for that to like, you know, for them to come in and show you a completely different way to do it was a movement. And so truly amazing to be there at that time. So we were lucky that we were there. And we had put all that time and effort that you say Malcolm Gladwell. There's two components to it. There's the being in the right place at the right time, being born at the right time. And then 10,000 10, hours. Which isn't necessarily a guarantee. Right, because it's just this industry, if you put 10,000 hours into being an electrician, 
okay, you could do your electrician stuff. You're going to get hired or whatever. This is so subjective. It's so, am I going to get hired? It's not, and I'm not. And for you guys, it feels like the path was a little atypical because maybe the first big break that you got was really early, right? It was 2F. Apartment 2F, which was a show that we... How'd you land that? So it was offered to John Benjamin and Sam Cedar, and those guys had kind of been you know sam cedar had been booked on a bunch of pilots made a lot of money but pilots that never went he had just done a movie called who's the caboose which was all about pilot it wound up being called pilot season uh with sarah silverman or it started were, off being called pilot season then it became, became who's, who's the caboose, caboose. And he was a filmmaker i mean yeah. mtv gave a movie at money to make these little independent That's films cool. uh he did a whole funny like short film i'll never forget like about how he wanted to do the first film that didn't use lights and it, it was so funny. God, he was so funny and talented, and they were great. And and so I they were offered they the show, like, and they were like, yeah. you know, screw it. I mean, John Benjamin would then go on to do Doctor Katz, but you know, we were like, so we were young, and we had we were doing a show, a scripted live sitcom that we wrote a new episode every week, which was insane. Jeez, downtown in New York, using, at like twenty four. Yeah, but we were doing it with like. It was us and our buddy Eric, Mike Blyden, who's a fantastic director and you know who's gone on to do Matt directing. Matt Price was a character sure, yeah. in it, and uh, these guys are all your friends today. Too, friends. Which is so Laybourne cool. was in it, and we would have a warm-up comic, Mike Royce, who later Mike went, Royce, who later went on to run Men of a Certain Age, and he was a writer for many years on uh, Everybody Loves Everybody Raymond. Loves Raymond yeah. and Spin City. So he did audience warm-up for the crowd as if they were at a taping. We had people come in and do live commercials in the middle of the show. So fun, and we did two acts of uh, basically like a sitcom for the stage and it was, it was called double agents and basically randy and i played two like eight horrible talent agents for people and we wrote just absurd like storylines for just being agents in a small agency for crappy talent and so that kind of thing is a template for something like 2f well what happened was they they sent mtv people down there and they're like these guys are around the right age of the talent that we want to mm-hmm. have on this network these other two guys just said no to our offer let's bring these guys in for a meeting we came in and had a meeting, and we were just ourselves. And we had, went with Lisa Berger, who later went on to be like a head. I remember we shot me. stuff in our apartment. We did. We shot a bunch of little conversations in our apartment. Like we did one whole conversation about Phil Collins and the song <laughs> "In the Air Tonight," which like, like the the lyrics in the because the story was that he. This is one of our conversations we filmed for the MTV show. The story was that he watched another guy watch someone drown. Which to us we were like, so then you watched him drown too. You didn't do shit about it. You as watched well. another guy let a guy drown. You're also implicated in that. Right, you exactly. So, but the idea that like Phil Collins invited this guy to come to his concert and then sang the song to him to be in like, the air tonight. Uh-huh, I got you. I, I was it. there I was and there. I saw what you did. did. Saw it with, with my, my own two eyes. <laughs> this other guy drown. And so we're like. If that's the case, and we're having this whole conversation, then he has to have the band has to know that he's doing this too. You got to have a loose set list because what if the guy goes to take a pee and you're, you're about to go into in the air tonight, <laughs> and the guy's in the lobby and the concourse getting goes a beer. down on no seat. So like the fact that he had to get the band in on it, so we did this whole conversation like that, and it was it was a blast. I mean, it was really cool. And we got the show, and of course on the show, Zach Alfanakis was a cast member Michael Showalter who directed The Big Sick and and went hot, went hot, hot and he created. Uh, search party among other things he's so talented and great he was a character on it and then so many people i mean here's who did stand up on that show because it was 
a sitcom with stand-up sketches gotcha. and short films. In the pilot up. that we did, J.B. Smoove did stand-up in the Jeez. pilot. UCB was the guest on the show. Uh, they did a sketch within the show. And uh, Sam Cedar did a short film, which was amazing. And amazing. that was, and then it was us. It was just like a mixing of all those things. And I mean, David Jeff, Wayne did a David short Wayne film. David Wayne did a short film on the yeah. show with Amanda Pete in it. Uh, Jeff Ross did stand-up on the show. Pat Oswalt did stand-up on the show. Patrice O'Neill did stand-up on the show. Bill Burr did stand-up on the show. Jim I mean, Norton did Jim Norton did stand up on the show. Yeah. Colbert was a guest star on Art Barker, Pat Oswalt, they Unreal. all did stand up on Greg the show. Greg Barrett, it was truly such an amazing experience. We got to sort of merge together all the things we love one season, but then it brought us out to LA in ninety eight. Amanda Pete, whose uh, biggest credit is being a co star on Brockmire with Jonah Carey, of course. Yeah. That, that's her claim to fame. Um, good credit. So the ten thousand hours thing, and we had talked about this kind of off cam, you know, just hanging the other day. But I want to get into it because you guys had said that you'd had a conversation with Scott. You guys are working on this stuff and the idea of harnessing this. That you got a huge break at 2F. You've had a successful career. Cheap seats was families. big for us. Cheap seats. You've appeared on gigantic million shows. You've done um, a bunch of cool stuff. You know what's going to push you forward. But you have, you're not Seinfeld. So if you are trying to raise your game at this point, this far in your career, 24 years in 24 your career. 24 years into serious. I mean, we were walking. How, yes. Go ahead. We were walking around the other night, which is what we were telling you the other day, or the another conversation. Yeah. We were walking around in Denver the other night, and we're so proud to be at Comedy Works. It's an enormous honor. There are tons of comedians who would love. They're doing other shows. It's un- I got it. Is it good? Right there. So there are tons of comedians who cannot get booked there. We feel lucky that we are even booked to, to come in and perform at this great club. And so uh, we were walking around downtown Denver, and we see a huge theater, the Buell Theater, which is, I think, 3,000 seats. Huge, yeah. And we see who's coming and who added another show. Not just performing in that theater, but who had to add another show out of popular demand, John Mulaney. A comedian we've great. loved, a comedian we've been a fan of and we've known for a very long time since New York. And and since he when we would come to New York and do Comics Club, he featured for us. Just a phenomenal comic and someone who we were like, he deserves, he deserves that. that. I'm so happy that that's happening, for real. Truthfully yep. happy. Yep. Uh, but, uh, but there's also a part of us that when we walk away, what we are say, we not doing so that we – like what do we need to do so that we can get to that spot? Not why does he have it and not us, right. but what do we need to do? So what is it? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. And we sat down with Scott Rogowski, who's been doing Finding the Funny with us, and he had a very honest and great conversation with us. And he was like, look, I think you guys avoid talking about being twins, which is a very clear part of who you are. You haven't talked about it because you don't want to seem obvious or hacky or whatever, and that's been a big part. Well, I mean, truthfully, when we came to New York, if you try, if we stood up on a stage on like, Luna Lounge and ta- did a whole ten minute set about being twins, that we'd get no laughs, and they would not invite us back. So but you have a quarter was, century of credibility now. Sure, yeah, yeah. we worked really hard for a very long time for people to say Sklar brothers are really. Fun. We don't even call ourselves the Sklar twins. The Sklar brothers are very funny. Hopefully, if you like us, if you don't like us, then you won't like us. But if you do, then you say, I think they're funny and they're just brothers and they're, they're a great comedy team. That's all we wanted people to say about us. We didn't want people to be like, Hey, you know, those twins who do comedy. But Scott was like, well, what if, you know, you sort of like, we go to city to city and try to find the funny in different cities. Why don't you try to find the funny in yourselves? What's funny about us and how, what is the thing about us that's maybe the most universal or the thing that reaches out to the most people? He's like, you already have your fans who like you. Let's talk, why don't you do stuff that is easy and translatable for people to say, 
oh, I saw these guys. They're twins. Do you know who I'm talking about? And something that simple or be the voice of the concerns or the issues of twins all over this country. Just like Ali Wong has tapped into something, you know, with her yep. latest stand-up special where, you know, Asian crowds are crazy for her. Why? Because she's saying the things that most Asian people are like too demure or too respectful to say. She's saying all the things they that, that they all are probably thinking but don't say. And I think those types of moments where you where you can tap into a larger audience and retain your diehard fans is what we would hope to take in terms of our next step. So we're just now trying to like examine what it is about ourselves as we work on a new stand-up special. Just the fact that like we're grown men with families and jobs and houses and have made a life for ourselves, but we still walk down the street and people think like they think we're in a double mint commercial. Yeah. Are there yeah. like we had to t- like our kids don't see us as twins. No, they see us as struggling comedians. Two struggling comedians who disappoint their wives. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> what they see us as. But I mean, despite the self, whatever, I'm Jewish too, it's, but despite the self-deprecation, you've built a life, you've you have a profile, you've got houses and very and proud. I mean, if, and, like, I, if, if we could talk to the 22-year-old selves who were hoping that Andy Kindler would watch our set and hope that he would encourage us to not go to law school and do this comedy and say, look, this is what you're going to achieve by 45. These are all the things you're going to do. I think we would be ecstatic. I would start crying. I would Amazing. say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it. So, yeah, uh, I want a couple more. One thing I wanted to ask you also, it's always interesting how it is that a comedian hits. Like sometimes you can just book a TV show. Great, you're Ray Romano, whatever. That's fine. And we have this conversation when we talk interpersonally like, okay, the stand-up is going. It's going well, whatever. And you do these things like United Stats. Was a, I loved Super United Stats. Show. A great show. It, it didn't blow up, but it was for people who liked it. They freaking liked it. it. And and now there's this poop doc. Yeah. And like it's got this, a little juice on it a little bit. It's got some poop legs. It's got some stink on it. It's got some. Uh, <laughs> like well, we say. did this documentary about our friend Aaron Feldman, who we went to camp Jewish summer camp with, is a filmmaker and a great idea guy. And he came to us and we had breakfast with him one morning in L.A. And he said, "I have this idea. Do you guys want to help me produce this?" And he said, "Don't get up and walk away. I'm going to tell you what it is." <laughs> and that we were like, "That's the first indication that we should get up. That and we walk should probably away. get up and leave." He said, "It's a po- documentary about poop." And he handed out that he had this whole deck that he opened up and like pages of the idea. It's all brown. It was yeah, weird. It was, I was, it was like, like "Why is this white?" Uh, and we were like, "I don't know. I don't think this is what we want to do." And he said, "Well, think about it over the weekend. I'll give you all the weekend, and then just give me a final answer on Monday." And we thought about it for real. Really took some time to search and be like, "Is this what we want to do? Is this the next step? What if this hits? In a perfect world, what if this hits? And yeah. Is this what we want to be known for? Is there a way to do it where if it hits and we're known for it, it's a good thing?" Right. That's we're asking all those questions. What we came up with is what if we were to get, be able to get and leverage all of our relationships with our favorite people, comedians, comedic actors, sci- you know, science guys, doctor, f- smart people, Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a documentary that hits them both square in the right spot. Eric Stone Street, Aisha Tyler, Nick Swartzen, Jordan Rue. I mean, all of our friends. Like, yeah, can yeah. We get them Jonah to, Ray. Jonah Ray. Can we get them to sit down and have an honest conversation about a subject that is difficult for people to talk Pete about? Pete Holmes and Kumail Nanjiani. What are, the, what are their attitudes? What's the international vibe towards pooping? What, why, is it, why is this something that we all do? And yet we don't want to talk about it. We get embarrassed when we bring it up. What are our own thoughts on it? And we're happy to share that as well. Is in, in, I don't know producers. that most people think about what their own thoughts are on it. They don't, but they have a very – like 
for me, when we sat down with Pete Holmes and talked to our friend, Pete, who we've been friends with for the last 15 yep. years and good friends with, traveled with him, toured with him, okay, yep. a little bit, have been out and done a couple dates with him, uh, but love him and know him, and I mean, he's, uh, we love Pete. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize his relationship with his wife until we started talking about poop. There's, like, yeah. wow. His, his fiance area. I think they're married, right? I, they might I think be, they're, yeah. married, they're married at this point. But I learned so much more about his relationship with her when we started talking about poop. It's the, I cannot explain it except it opened a door to how they interact. Yeah. So we started doing this movie and we're like, this is super interesting. I hope it, we can make it funny. We made it for, uh, like a, uh, hope and a dream. Yeah. Like not much cents. money at all. Yeah. And, then we're, we finish it up and we're like, this is pretty funny. We'll see what happens. Maybe no one will want it. Uh, and then Doug, William Morris and Endeavor and, uh, Preferred Content, which did Jiro Dreams of Sushi and Arrival and all these other movies. Mm -hmm. They both were like, this is, actually it got to the guy Preferred and he watched it and he said, yeah. He's like, I think it's funny, but I can't walk down to the halls of my office and sell this thing to people. He's like, I, I think I'm probably going to say no. And then he had dinner with his family, and they're like, what did you do today? And he said, I watched this thing. He starts talking about it, and then the kids start talking about it, and then the, or his wife starts talking about it. <clears throat> they all start talking about it, and he's like, we can't stop talking about it. He said, this might be something that people legitimately sparks all this really interesting conversation. Yeah. And then that's how things have legs. Suits, we all have to have them, but they could be a pain in the ass. Well, Indochino makes it easy to get into a terrific made-to-measure suit that looks good, affordable, all that good stuff. Listeners of the Jonah Carey Podcast can get Indochino's best deal ever, 359 bucks for any premium suit when you enter the promo code Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, during checkout. Here is the deal with Indochino. They've got showrooms all over North America. You can also send in your measurements online and do it that way. Whatever is your best approach, they're up for it. And listen, they've suited up hundreds of thousands of men, and they're now the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. You can visit the showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Pick your fabric, choose your customization, submit your measurements, place your order, and your lovely new suit will arrive in just a few weeks. I've done it myself. I have a terrific blue suit from Indochino that I've worn to multiple different events. Honestly, it's fashion forward and all that. Wear the jacket with jeans. Do, do you. Whatever it is you want to do. They're terrific. I'm very, very happy with my suit. You will be too. Again, Indochino.com and you enter the promo code Jonah. Check out 359 bucks for a terrific made to measure suit. That's 50% off the regular price. Shipping is free. Indochino.com promo code Jonah. 359 bucks. Free shipping. Great suit. Do it now. Like the kind of thing that like the New Yorker writes about it. Like it becomes this, in addition to being funny, like it just becomes a societal thing. And then suddenly it's, it's a, like it's like a trend piece or the something. The benchmark is the aristocrats, which made about yeah. $6 million before. But it, like, feels so it. much, that $6 million is great, but feels so much bigger than that. feels like it had this like, you just say those words and you're like, of course. Have and you I, seen that documentary on poop? Like if someone said that to you yeah. and you were like, no, I haven't seen it. It's got a bunch of funny people. It's got that guy, Steve Agee. Start naming comedians that you know and you recognize. You'd be like. All the oh. comedy people, and because it's a universal subject, we feel like foreign rights will be easy to sell. So it's sold. It's it's sold to it, – we went to the uh, Lower East Side Film Festival, had yeah. a screening in front of a full house, and huge laughs. laughs. Amazing. So fun. Then it, it sold to Comedy Dynamics, who's distributing it. It's going to be in theaters in 10 cities right now, 10, maybe 25. Could be as many 25 on February 16th of this year. That's awesome. 
It's insane. I mean, truthfully, I, I'm so excited about the idea that, yeah, maybe we'll get people talking about stuff in an interesting way, but hopefully people will see it as the movie that we want it to be, not the lowest common denominator, but uh, actually a smart look at all of this stuff. And again, from the people, Brad Williams tells a story, comedian Brad Williams, who's a dwarf yep. comedian, but just he's a comedian. He's, he just so happens to be a dwarf. It's so funny because we connect with him so deeply because, yeah, he talks about that some of it in his act. But, but it's not what he it's wants. It's not the core of his act. Right. Just like we sort of are like we're twins, but we're comedians. Like he wants to be known as a as great a comedian. comedian. And I agree. I think he's achieved that. He tells one of the best stories ever that only he could tell in the center. It's like the centerpiece of this whole thing. Kira Sultanovich, great comedian tells like an unbelievable story about poop and about leaving her family, leaving, leaving Russia, anti-Semitic town, town in Russia. Russia. Holy cow. Her getting on the train and having to poop and her mom, and there is no bathroom and her mom is there after people threw trash at her on the it's way. It's like Whoa. this epic story, this Holy international shit. story. And the, all these people started pouring out. Rob Corddry told amazing stories. Everybody's Kyle telling Corddry. these great stories about their personal relationship with it. And we're finding out stuff about people that we've never known before. And it's sparking debate. It's a weird movie that like, you know, it stays. With so it. it could be, I mean, first of all, on the, on the basic level, it could be something that people talk about. Mm -hmm. It could be something that does better than anybody expected. I mean, look at the big sick. I look at the big sick. This will not do big sick numbers. Okay. Big sick. They probably made they for like 2 million, 3 yeah. million, maybe $3 million. It was Apatow. So it's going to do yep. that. But you know, show Walter directed it. It killed. It's making like probably will make like fifty million dollars. Incredible! Or it crushed for all those people who have the back end of that thing. They are set for life for and them. for the in the best possible way. Good for them because they're all amazing. Somebody like Emily, who oh my God, how hard has she worked in her life her. to get this? And love all love the her. stuff she's done. Emily Gordon and wish and, them all the best. And Kumail and all those guys. Yep. And like you're like that guy deserves it. These yeah. guys deserve it. They're yep. so great. And Kumail, who did our movie, who did the poop movie, yeah. was um, phenomenal in it. What if this thing does a fourth of that? You never know. It's yeah. Like, it's out there now, and it's going to have its release. It's and what if it changes the way we talk about poop? What if it does actually shift the conversation slightly out of this weird shame and yeah. this moment where people kind of don't bring it up to help people discover things about themselves and the people that Be they amazing. know in their lives? Then we can do the sequel, Masturbation. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the fact, too. I found that very interesting. What am I going to be known for? I feel like when when we have conversations, that often comes up. It's in fact, it's part of your act. It's like one of your best bits. The whole idea of people come up to you and say, "What do I know How you? How do from? I know you guys? Right. How do I know you guys?" And obviously, it's it's a comedy bit, but I feel like it's important to you. Like you have a lot of quality projects. I mean, I came to you guys from Cheap Seats. I just thought Cheap Seats was like the like for most people it was that's so in the zone for me. My God, as if we could have tailored it to your heart and made, made a show, show for, you. for you. I with the fucking log rolling. I'm just, I can't it listen was... to me. Listen to me. It was the Tim Raines of <laughs> sports comedy TV shows for you. I mean, it was like something. No, but it was for us. We made a show that if you say I like that show, then. If we met you in real life, we would be friends because that show was a very so personal much show. So, so much, much of us was in that show. Yeah. And we got to make 77 of them. So we bared Jeez, ourselves. Jeez, is that right? Wow. We bared ourselves. Four seasons of it. We said, you know, the Apartment 2F show came too early in our career. We were only 24, 20, yeah. 25 when it came out. In 97. And we wished when it got canceled, we – a few years later, we were like, I wish we had – I wish we, we had five more years of experience. I mm. wish we knew what we know now back then. We got that chance with Cheap Seats, and we got to do it for four seasons, and we got to make the show that we wanted to make that if we didn't know ourselves, we would watch. We would tell our friends to watch it. And so in doing that, the fans who came to us through that are 
in our like connected to us as people very much deep into our hearts. And sports is still a connective tissue for you guys. It was in cheap seats. It is in your act. You know, in a lot of cases, podcast. that's the case. I mean, because a podcast, big time, that's sure. definitely the case. Yeah, I mean, and who knows with our new podcast, Dumb People Town, and the rebranding, which that, as you know, you got to be nimble. Sometimes this situation it's killing. Is and right Dan here. has emerged as a real comedy force. He's yeah, so good. Dan, I mean, Kirk. the fact that we, yeah, you never know. What if that becomes the thing? What if we, what if we get lucky enough to do an animated version of Dumb People Town yeah. somewhere, and that becomes? Or a you show. start filling theaters by doing live yeah, ones, or whatever. and me, you're already doing live. But ones. by the way, by the way, our friends, this is the model, and you look at it and say. Okay, they've done it for three years. We've done it for less than one. If we get to that point, maybe we get there. The Dollop, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, huge, phenomenal. They just told us of a like a five city tour they're doing in Australia, filling fifteen hundred seats in Australia. Australia. When they're here, they do thousand seat theaters and sell out two shows. Wow. Dave Anthony, who for us was always a comic that we loved. Yep, loved. I've met him. He's great. Okay, incredible comedian, but never if he. Like, I don't think he could get, he could have gotten booked at Comedy Works like five, six years ago. Maybe, maybe he could have, but he's not going to be at the upper echelon of that. And then now he's really, and to me, it's like, it's so perfect. It is exactly where he should it's be. It's him being his funniest in moments that he So just, maybe that, that will be for us because it is such a joy to do is that thing. Well, and it feels like comedy and media are in the same boat in that. You just take a project that you feel like you would like and be proud of and just do a bunch and whatever hits, hits. I, you know, you said like the poop thing. What if this hits and that's what we're known for? So you're just making sure, okay, am I, am I okay? To, at a certain point, you have to pay the bills and whatever. Of course. It's not that everything is a grand slam, no. but at least if it's like, okay, it was like a, a gap or like, all right, I'm a superstar because of that. That's fine. By the way, the Burger King. Burger King. We Burger did the, King was we did huge. Burger and it was commercial. funny. And you guys do ads in a very, like ads are supposed to be this like third rail mm. or whatever. You lean into it. And it's fucking funny. We when had you a do blast it. doing it. And I, I'm proud of what we did. In and you know I what? really like the thrillist thing you just did with the ribs. Oh my so God. we did a thing for busting on each other. It was really funny. Yeah, we did a thing for thrillist and jet blue. And you know what? If we ever get flack for someone, if someone's like, Hey, I think what, how, how could you guys sell out like that? I'm like, do you want to pay for my kid to go to preschool? Of course. If you don't want to do that, then, then shut up. It's like we got to do what we got to do. And But truthfully, we have to be proud of what we've done. If the Burger King ad was cringeworthy, we yeah. would be like, no. But they let us kind of go. You riffed. It was, it was exactly the same as if we were sitting in a room. That's totally. right. Like the Phil Collins story that we told. I mean, we, it's essentially we were doing that for like two hours, and then they took like a little clip of it. So uh, one last question, which I ask at the end of every podcast, is I always ask the guests for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, what have you. Two guests. Yeah. Two so we get two different options. And it could be super serious and like, wow, you know, this thing happened or whatever. Or, or always, you can always also tip go 19%. You know what I mean? <laughs> tip. You can also go with that. Just a yeah, tip. Go ahead. Um, Jason, go ahead. I, I would say I would say if you um, if you're creating something for consumption – for other people, if you're being creative in any way, I would say try to make something that if you didn't know you and you were stumbling upon it, that you would love. Hmm. That's the only thing you can do. You can try to guess what other people want and like. You can try to guess the thing that's going to have the biggest success, but you have to come back to something. If I didn't know me and I stumbled upon this song, this piece of art, this comedy bit, this podcast, this whatever, if I stumbled upon it, would I love it? 
And that's my advice. My like advice that. is kind of born out of this project that we've been doing, this Finding the Funny project, which will be on Audible in February. Ten cities, each city. So the doc and this is going to go at the same February, time. Yeah. Kind of drop around the Jeez same Louise, time. Louise, I better get in all my conversations with you. Because after that, I'm gonna, uh, you got to go to my agent. No I'm sorry. No way. Are you kidding <laughs> me? So, uh, no, but the idea is that if we go into each city, we're doing it this week in Denver. We land on Thursday or Wednesday. We try and write five to ten minutes of comedy about what we're experiencing in that town right now. So three documentaries in one. What it's like to be in that town in 2017. What's it like to be in Denver? Two, what it's like to be comedians on our level touring around. What do we have to do? And three, how does an idea become – an observation become an idea, become a joke, become a bit? And you get to see it go in the last five, seven minutes of the whole thing. Thing each is, chapter. Each chapter is are the five minutes there. And what we're going to do is the stand up on stage. Is the stand up on stage. And what we're going to do is pull six minutes of stand up from each city and create a new comedy album of all of our travel stuff. Right. So he asked you a question and you basically just plugged the project. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now the idea is that uh, what we've learned from doing that is a very simple thing, which is that you know our being on the road is hard and being away from our family is hard. Yeah. And life is short for, you know, as you look at events that happen in the world and friends of ours whose, you know, parents have passed away and this and that, you know, life is so short, life is so precious. And this project has encouraged us to go out and live as much as we can in every weekend that we're there. Don't sit in the hotel room Mm. and check your, you know, feeds, your feeds the whole time. And it's just go out and live and try and enjoy it. So if we're going to be on the road away from our parents, putting away from our kids, putting extra pressure on our spouses to handle things and our kids for us to be away, we better have a good time. And if we're in this comedy thing, we better enjoy the shows. We can't walk up and be like, oh, this sucks. We got to think about why is this great? Why are what we're doing good? So my advice to people is, is to, to really find those things in your life that cause you to live it really on the edge for us it's standing out in front of people and not knowing if they're going to laugh on every level whether it's network executives or movie people or stand-up crowds or podcast people whatever it is and so find that edge live out on that edge and live it as as fully as you can because we just don't know what the hell is going to happen we have no clue uh, i love it uh, what a pleasure it is to guy host you guys in my living room and to, to, to do your podcast in my oh, living yeah. room as well. You're so you good on ours. Our you are podcast. so good. You're the exact person we want to talk to at this time of year, baseball time. You, you, you served it up so – you were like Altuve, just knocking him out left and right. I was a really tall, Jewy Altuve. You are like a tall Jew – which, by the way, you're tall, Jewy Altuve. 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 <laughs> and uh, Scott Rogowski, uh, what a pleasure to meet him as well. He's, He's been the best. our engineer and our friend for all this as well. Uh, thank you so much, fellas, and uh, superscars.com for all the – tour dates and all the good stuff that everything is going on. Twitter, at Sklar Brothers, and we'll just let you know.